Hello. This episode is a bonus episode, a part two. We've got the guest commentary for episode 20 of season three, The Final Frontier. Check out part one for our thoughts on the episode, but stick around here to hear our friend Jeremy talk about his thoughts when revisiting the show. We've got a short commentary after Jeremy, if you're still listening. And don't forget, we want to hear from you in an email, maybe a voice recording. What is your favorite moment from Northern Exposure Season 3? We're going to be talking about that in our Season 3 retrospective episode coming soon. Once again, thank you for listening. Okay, so our guest on this episode, uh, I know we like to say we like to bring on someone who has never seen the show before. Um, We may be breaking the rules a little bit here because our guest is my good friend Jeremy, who told me he actually watched the show when he was a little kid. So it's hard to say whether or not he'll remember a lot about it. I still think it's a good um, outside opinion, you know, even if he has seen the show uh, a long time ago when it was airing. I don't think he's watched it since then. But Jeremy is a filmmaker. He often works in the camera department, lighting, you know, director of photography. He's a talented artist. And uh, I always like to bring on uh, friends in the film community just to see, you know, that kind of artistry at work in the show. Um, But really, we can just take it as Jeremy's opinion of the show coming from just a fan of TV shows and movies. Okay, I think I've said enough. Let's hear what Jeremy, (laughs) let's hear what Jeremy has to say. Hi. Okay, so this is Jeremy Bloom. I have watched uh, episode 20 of season three of Northern Exposure. I think what I actually recall most immediately from watching this is is the opening credit scene with just the moose and the kind of like quirky twee music playing over the abandoned streets with the moose walking around Alaska. I don't know, that's what calls out to me. And what I'm struck by in the beginning is I think I remember, and, and I definitely haven't watched this show since I was probably like 10, 10 or 11 years old, is I recalled like the, the doctor, the physician, the town physician, I recalled uh, Dr. Fleischman. I recalled him being more like the central character to every narrative. So I'm kind of struck by how minimal a role he actually plays here. But anyway, so so the premise of this episode is that we have a flood of Japanese tourists that have come in to see the Northern Lights and ultimately to copulate underneath those lights in the name of, you know, a more fruitful next generation. And this man who, what is his name, Marshall? Uh, Maurice? Um, He has to overcome his own prejudices towards the inn that these two gay gentlemen run and just like have a culture collision, but also like uh, experience a level of cultural and spiritual solidarity with other people. Just realizing that he's, he's, he's actually quite like-minded with these two gentlemen who have refurbished this place and turned what he thought was a bad deal for them into like a very thriving business. So I think he's like really impressed by their business acumen and he respects that at the very least. Um, John Corbett, who's obviously, he's like the, I looked up the cast and I think they're mostly still alive outside of sadly, uh, the woman who plays Ruth Ann, because understandably she's, 
she's elderly here, so she died in 2002. Okay, but rest, the rest of the cast is still alive for the most part. John Corbett's probably the most famous one here because he my big fat Greek wedding and stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of recalled him being the radio personality and he kind of narrates the themes of the episode. I hope that, I liked that. I hope that that's like a continuous thing throughout the show. I'm pretty sure it is. It's a staple of the show. Um, it was ridiculous to hear all the, uh, the like, I guess this is around 1991 or something This probably aired. So like just the, the token terms, like they're sodomites, those fruits, the fairies, you know, it's kind of amusing to hear the very outdated terminology. Um, I like how the show, which I always remembered being like a Dr. Quinn medicine woman meets Twin Peaks kind of vibe where it's quirky without being twee. And there's a certain level of mysticism and spirituality woven into the show. It, it operates in metaphors, obviously like Jesse the bear is a metaphor in this episode for this elusive thing. He's this unattainable thing. He's still trying to pursue, um, and even the package, the mail package, where they're debating whether or not to open it, whether or not that's justified in the social arrangement that we all make with the mail. Uh, that was interesting. Everything's a metaphor, just the mystery box of that package. That was pretty good. So the guy has a Korean son? That's interesting. Do we ever meet that son, I wonder? Because he's in the picture frame and there's a remark upon that and he deals with like an Asian on Asian racist moment that he... Conf- that prejudice he confronts face forward, which was a good moment for his character. Also, Shelly is his wife. I immediately thought that was his daughter, and I didn't. I did not remember that that was his wife at all. They definitely appear to be like twenty five years apart in age. I love that they called a town meeting just to debate, to gain a consensus on whether or not they should open the package. That was delightful. It's kind of, I guess, like just in terms of like the small town vibe of the show. It's kind of a. Uh, it's like a Golden Girls for more intellectual or spiritually minded people. Yeah, there's some really good writing in this episode. Like the debate at the town hall over whether to open the package. The pitch that John Corbett makes for both sides where he's like, it's a sacred trust that we make with these bureaucratic hieroglyphics on this government package. and But also like curiosity is the driving force of the human spirit and what could be more Alaskan than pursuing this to its end? And, you know, I thought that that was pretty amusing. Yeah, there's, like, some nice closure at the end episode where, like, people find closure and there's some, like, progress attained uh, for people's souls. I like that they didn't put the moose in the package, that they said that would be too obvious. That was good. All right, I've probably talked too long as it is, but, that yeah, that was delightful. I really enjoyed it. It was a good vibe for uh, quarantine right now, too, because it's very soothing show that's just kind of rich in weird little character details all right bye buds all right that was jeremy with his guest analysis on the episode and i have to say that i like jeremy's little thoughts at the end where he said that this was something really perfect to watch during the quarantine like it was really comfortable like macaroni and cheese or mashed potatoes or something like that (laughs) (laughs) i think we're both hungry right now yeah it's it's dinner time uh in our quarantine. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think even before quarantine, I think, uh, like, recalling back to the second episode, our guest Beal was saying, this is kind of like comfort food, like you're just talking about, Charles. That's what, uh, that's what reminded me of that idea. But, yeah, definitely a good quarantine vibe. The uh, Actually, the 
the guy who remixed our theme song, Matt Jackson, who was actually a guest earlier in the season. Uh, he's been going back and watching the the first two seasons because he was, you know, he was in quarantine and he said, hey, do you remember that show, Northern Exposure, I, I guessed it on? Uh, you know, can I watch some more of that? That's like, it's, it really hits the spot. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think it is about shows like this that make them comfortable or that make them I guess we kind of touched on it. Like you feel in a small town, like Joel is isolated in a way. Yeah, I would say that that's definitely one of the major contributing factors is that you have a small town with colorful characters. So it feels like you're part of the of the cast while you're watching it. And everyone's got their own dynamic personalities. It's easy to see getting into it. It's easy to imagine that you yourself could be in this town just being a fly on the wall of it. Yeah. I would also say that another factor to it is that uh, it was filmed in the early 90s. So it already gives you a nostalgic feel. Mm, yeah, so yeah. you already want to go back in time while you're listening to it. Yeah, especially for Jeremy, who said he was he was watching this when he, he thinks he was like maybe 10 or 11. So it definitely brings you back, especially if you watched it. Uh, and even if you, if you didn't watch it when you were a kid, if you were alive at that time. You know, maybe some of our listeners, I, I don't know how young our listeners would be, but I imagine... I'm pretty sure most, most of our <laughs> listeners are like older. I yeah, think. like people who actually watched the show when it came out. Um, but even if you had never seen it, you know, if you can imagine that time, like we were born in the 90s, Charles, but I don't know, something about it really, really does bring that nostalgia factor. And yeah, just, I like what you said, like you can feel yourself as part of part of the cast because because all of the characters in the town are just really good people who kind of look out for each other, care for each other most of the time. Sometimes there's some conflict, but uh yeah, that's a good it's a good feeling. That's always something that I'm conflicted on in my own life. Like I always picture myself to be like, all right, I think I could live in like this small farm town of like 60 people living in it. You know, I could like wake up early in the morning when the sun rises, drink my coffee, go tend to the chickens, you know, doing like regular farm stuff, try to sustain myself. <laughs> and then the other part of me is like, that's so uh, boring or like so lonely. Like I got to be in like the city. I got to be in like a New York City-esque uh, metropolitan area with like it's always bustling and no one's ever going to sleep. But it's also like not very intimate because you don't, truly know your neighbors so i'm always flipping on the coin on like which end i want to end up on on life it's that element of um sort of like escaping reality and, and sort of escapism and fantasy you can imagine how great life might be if you if you lived on a farm you know but then also the other side of the coin it's like if i lived in the big city that would also be really fun so you know there, this is the show that taps into that version of escapism when you're how great it could be if you lived in Sicily, you know, <laughs> I like that Jeremy focuses in on the scene where, you know, it's like, so Maurice, does Maurice actually have a Korean son? Yeah, there is a, there is an episode earlier in the season where Maurice finds out, uh, many years later that he did in fact, um, father a Korean son and they grow. It's, it's kind of similar in this episode, how Maurice learns to, you know, kind of look past his bigotry and the sort of stereotypes that are in his mind and to accept Ron and Eric. It, it's another great episode like this where Maurice has, you know, flat out some racist thoughts uh, against his own son, but then he comes to terms and he really does respect his son and love his son. And it's nice that we see him defending Duquan, his Korean son, 
in this scene. On a similar note, it's also interesting that he's watching it with 2020 eyes because he mentions about token terms yeah. like, uh, that they were using throughout there. And yeah, I think that's like the number one thing that people that are watching this blindly, they always pick up on those things, like outdated terms. Right, yeah. And I think that might be, you know, something that, you know, we might inadvertently be like saying, like, how does this stand up in your eyes? You know, what do you think about this? Just coming coming to it out of the blue without having seen an episode. So I think a lot of time people are, you know, trying to really analyze it in their in their 2020 mindset, which is which is pretty interesting. And yeah, unfortunately, uh, Shelley is Holling's wife. That was uh, that was actually I think that was established even before Joel got to the town. Like they were already, well, technically not wife, but partners because. It, it's complicated. It goes. There's this whole episode where they almost get married, um, but yes, unfortunately, they're together. And in fact, they're like forty it's plus more than years. Twenty-five. Yeah, it's, like it's 40, fifty plus. Hey, it's a fifty plus. It's close to fifty. It's close to fifty. <laughs> Understandably, a lot of people are kind of surprised and maybe upset about this relationship. We don't. We we do this every time. <laughs> like we don't have to get into it. <laughs> Similarly, you know, a lot of the people who watch the show take away the moose in the opening titles. I, I feel like we talk yes. about this every time. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, there's not really a lot of meese, you know, mooses in Northern Exposure during the episode, just uh, always in that opening title. Let's see, a couple more things that Jeremy focused on. He really appreciated uh, Chris on the radio, you know, and we kind of talk about this before, Charles, how Chris is sort of becoming more and more like the Greek chorus of the episode, sort of stating the themes. Um, though, Charles, I think maybe you prefer it whenever Chris is more like in the meat of the episode and sort of walking outside of the K-Bear booth. So it's it's always best when he does a little bit of both. Yeah, like it's a cool technique that they're using for Chris, but I think that it can wear itself a little bit thin if they keep coming back to that well. So I think, you know, generally for the health of the show, I think it'd be good if they involved him in more plot lines. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast yet, but I think all of the cast members, you know, the major cast are still living, except unfortunately uh, the actress who played Ruthann, I believe her name is Peg Phillips. And um, Jeremy brings this up. Uh, wait, I thought that one of the showrunners passed away. That's true. Yeah. Well, not he, uh, not part of the major cast, but yeah, John Falsey, unfortunately, at the beginning in the beginning of uh, 2019, passed away due to injuries uh, from sustained in a fall. It says. So I think he fell and and uh, complications. He passed away. Oh wow. Really puts a damper on Northern Exposure and, the, you know, the idea that there might be, because there was talks of a of a seventh season. And, you know, as much as the news was stirring about that, it, as more and more information came out, it sounded like it was going to be something different than what we remember as, you know, Northern Exposure, what the, what the fans watched. Regardless, it kind of sounds like maybe those plans you know, may have actually finally ended uh, with with John Falsey. Yeah, that's a real shame because they are rebooting every 90s sitcom that they can think of right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one that I didn't think they would bring back was uh, Boy Meets World. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really didn't see that one coming. Yeah, there's no shortage of 90s reboots. And, you know, I can only imagine that if they did come together with like a seventh season of Northern Exposure, they would have to release the show on streaming for once and for all. But 
Yeah, unfortunately, you know. No, they would only make it available on like, what, what's that thing called? Quively? The thing that you can only watch on your phone? <laughs> Ten they seconds, would make it the most inconvenient way to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Just staying true to spirit, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta pay it in Bitcoins. It's, and it's like, you know, all the music has been replaced. All the original uh, dialogue tracks are, you know, in a different language. It's, uh, you know, well, as Chris says, we're going to keep our collective fingers crossed. Let's close out this episode with a quote from Jeremy from his review of this episode. He says, Northern Exposure is kind of like Golden Girls, but for more spiritually minded people. I really liked that, uh, that sort of comparison. Mm, that's nice. All right, Charles. Well, next episode is going to be number 21 in season three. It's called It Happened in Juno. Predictions? Um, presumably some characters are going to go to Juno and maybe it's going to be like uh, what stays in Vegas. No, no, no. no. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, that's how, <laughs> yeah. That, that's how that phrase works. Like something like that's going to happen because with a title like that, it happened in blank. Yeah. It denotes that something is uh, gone from the normal timeline, like a deviation of sorts. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you there because I think you're you're hitting it like right on the head. So we're going to wait. We're going to check out this episode and uh, I'll see you next week, Charles. All right. See you next week. Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by me. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. And thanks to Jeremy for being our guest analyst. If you'd like to write into the podcast, you can reach us at northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, thank you for listening.